Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Getting to the end of September, but Fizz 5 still rolling here on orangefizz.net. This week, Ian Unsworth and our newest member of the Fizz team, Francesco Simone, with you. Francesco, first and foremost, it's great to have you with us and great to welcome you to the Fizz team. Well, thank you, Ian. Fired up to be here. It, it should be a lot of fun. Francesco is deeply embedded in the Syracuse student media scene, as we all are, and He's a big part of making sure everything runs smoothly over at WAER, WJPZ, and the like. So he's going to be a great addition to our team. Francesco, this week, we got some things to talk about because Syracuse football, although they're 4-0, although the record looks nice, the wins look nicer, things haven't gone swimmingly over the past two weeks. So we need to figure out how SU can get it right going forward. Wagner is this week. Oh, not not a whole lot needs to be said about Wagner, but we'll we'll go over that. If the darn good Seahawks be, team, darn if things Seahawks need team. if things need to be gone over, Francesco and I will go over them. Syracuse basketball can't get a prospect in the class of 2023. We'll discuss how and why, and if Jim Beheim has some sort of special reasoning behind that, because. There might just be a reason why Bayheim's laying low thus far. And finally, we'll talk about the other sports on the Syracuse campus because, hey, this fall, they're actually pretty good. So stick around for that if you want to. If you need a little fill-in on SU's men's or women's soccer team, the field hockey team, they're all you know doing well in the ACC, men's soccer, field hockey, ranked. So, hey, those guys doing well, but we know what makes the money around here, Francesco. And right now that's football. So mm-hmm. let's delve into how to get Syracuse's offense right. That's our first topic of the day. Number one. We talked about it a little bit at the beginning, right? 4-0 Syracuse football is. It's been good for the most part. Nobody really thought they'd be 4-0. You thought, okay, maybe they'll, they might win three out of the first four. Nobody really thought they'd be Purdue. But here they stand 4-0, probably about to be 5-0 come Saturday. But it hasn't been perfect, right? The first couple of games... Robert and I is the second coming of whoever, right? The second coming of, you know, Sean McVay. His offenses are moving up and down the field. They're scoring almost 40 points a game. You can't stop them. Everything looks great. But then you get into Purdue. Then you get into Virginia. And they kind of slowed down a little bit. Now, they haven't been terrible by any stretch. They scored 22 against Virginia and 25 offensively against Purdue. But, Ian, the football's not moving like it was the first two weeks of the season. Sean Tucker's not moving the football like – it's been moved the first two weeks of the season. That's their main problem. Against Virginia, they only had three first downs on the ground. It, yep. it might seem like an arbitrary stat, but moving the chains on the ground is one of the biggest things you can do for an offense because, first of all, if Syracuse can move the chains on the ground, keep the no-huddle offense going, it keeps an opposing defense on the field, keeps an opposing D-line on the field. That's how you wear guys down and open up holes for Tucker later on in the game. Against Virginia, Tucker's best runs came in the last drive. He had two maybe back-to-back eight- or nine-yard runs. I think his longest carry was nine yards, which astounds me. But Tucker's longest carry was nine yards. So watching this team, the, the run plays seem rather scripted, almost set up to a point where it's second and eight, 
you know, second and seven, first and 10, you kind of know that someone else is getting the ball or that they're going to line up with a pistol. They're going to give it to Tucker. Mm -hmm. John Eads wrote an article on orangefizz.net the other day, a fizz film study showing screenshots of how Purdue and how Virginia line up against SU. They put a lot of guys near the line of scrimmage to stop the run. And giving it to Tucker up the middle, not going to be successful. Yeah, no, it's certainly on first down, and you're 100% right. John said it in his film study. I also talked about it a little bit in my article about whether Robert and I has been a great hire so far. Spoiler alert, he's been very good, but there's some things he can work on. And you're right about Sean Tucker. Defenses since the Purdue game against Purdue and against Virginia, they've kind of gotten smart. They've realized, okay, Garrett Schrader's a better passer than he was at this time last year, but him combined with the Syracuse receiving core is not something that scares any defensive coordinator anywhere in the country, right? Maybe besides Wagner, but besides that, nobody on Syracuse's schedule is lurking at a receiving core of Aronde Gadsden, Damian Alford, Courtney Jackson, Devon Cooper, no more Isaiah Jones, but, you know, and the like, and saying, I'm scared of that group of players with Garrett Schrader throwing them the football. So what are they doing? You put eight guys in the box, you put seven guys in the box on first down, and then Robert and I doesn't go to the run. If it's second and seven, Ian, like you mentioned, second down and eight, he's throwing the football every single time. Even when Virginia dropped back in zone coverage on second and third down in the second half last week, they still threw it. And Virginia did something smart, something I bet Scott Satterfield and Louisville really wish they had done. All the way back in week one, I'm going to see if you remember this, Ian. Louisville played a lot of zone. Early on, a little bit of man. Then they got out of it, played a lot of zone coverage. But they dropped back. Their safeties dropped back 20, 25 yards. They were afraid of the ball going over the top of their heads. Now, they weren't aware yet that this offense can't really do that. So instead, what they did in the Robert and I staple, even last year at Virginia and in previous years at Virginia, was hit the intermediate routes between that second level and that third level of defenders. 12, 15, 18 yards, that kind of intermediate route in the middle of the field with post routes, with slants. It was wide open the entire game. And Garrett Schrader was great hitting those passes because there was nobody around him. It was an easy pitch and catch. But then Virginia, in their zone defense in the second half on Friday, they played much more closer to the line of scrimmage. So the safeties, instead of being 20, 25 yards back, were only 15 yards back, were only maybe 20 yards back. The interception that he almost threw in the, uh, in the red zone to Damian, to not Damian Alford, it was uh, intended for Gadsden, that it ended up being trapped by the defense. It was a really bad throw. It was a, it was really a terrible bad throw. throw. You're 100% right. It's a terrible throw. But it was also equally terrible read because I think what Schrader thought was the defenders are going to drop a little bit further back. He'd have more time. Like, Eric Schrader doesn't have that good of an army, and I think we can both agree on that, yes? Yeah, yeah. So, like, so the, the ability to fit the ball into tight windows is not there. So when the defense is playing up like that and you're trying to throw the intermediate ball, it is very, very, very dangerous. We saw it with the interception that he threw. at the. It was at barely on his own side of the field, maybe in the, what was the second quarter. He got – there was a, a zone coverage for Virginia. He didn't see a linebacker there, and he threw it right to him. So – when teams now have adjusted to this Syracuse offense, they know what Robert and I wants to do. They know what his style is going to be. They know that they can defend Sean Tucker now because the offensive line is not getting the same kind of push that it did last year. So when, def- when, when defenses know that and they can plan for that, now it's up to an eye to make an adjustment himself. Syracuse has played two underrated fronts, all things considered. Virginia rotated did six, seven guys, as did Purdue. Both of them played different styles, three, four with uh, a versatile edge guy, and both of them made a lot of differences. Uh, 
Chico Bennett, I believe, was Virginia's edge guy. He had a really good game. Cook and Dakota Davis up and up and down. Dakota Davis had probably one of the worst games I've seen an offensive lineman have in college football. He he was mincemeat the entire game. Um, Francesco, I want to double back to something you said about the receivers, and that's one of my main problems with this team. Besides Aronde Gadsden getting a matchup, and let me make that very clear, getting a matchup mm-hmm. in the slot where he has a smaller guy on him, there is nobody on this team who I feel confident can get open one-on-one. And that's why teams have decided to stack the box against Sean Tucker. That's why they can right. stack the box. Exactly. exactly. Because you can trust your corners. Purdue trusted its corners who were experienced, and you know, they made a couple mistakes at the end of the game. But overall, through the first three, three-and-a-half quarters of football, Purdue's corners played fantastic games. And they threw all their resources, all their linebackers, towards either stopping the run or guarding the middle of the field. Because outside, one-on-one, Syracuse doesn't have a guy that can beat you. And that's a big problem. Because there are more talented secondaries they're coming up against. There are better defensive lines they're coming up against. And if you can't run the ball against four or five guys, six guys, and your receivers can't get open, that means we see a lot of what happened to Schrader Last weekend, you're holding the ball. You're running around. You're trying to create something that's not there. How do you avoid that? Anai has to be better with pre-snap motion, with mixing things up, with disguising things, throwing more screens, running more option plays, whatever it may be. You have to put your players in a position to win when your talent is not enough. The scheme has to bring these guys along. And it's done it through the first four weeks, but Anai has to continue building on that because as we saw with Virginia, Brackett and Gadsden in the second half, making those adjustments, teams will eventually catch up to it with film study. Now, being you got four weeks of film in the book on this team. Teams are going to start figuring it out that there are about two to three things that Garrett Schrader can do really well through the first four weeks. Now you have to adjust. Yeah, no, I mean, you said it. The secret's out a thousand percent. Every single team Syracuse plays from here on out, unless they make some sort of widespread adjustment, is going to stack the box on early downs and is going to single cover their receivers. And like you mentioned, Gadsden, yeah, he can get open one on one against a slot corner, but you bracket that, but you bracket him like Virginia did. He was, he caught one ball in the second half, Ian, against the NBA. It wasn't good. And he had six for 97 in the first half. So they finally got smart. Now that's, you know, defensive coordinators, NC State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt, they, they're watching that. They know exactly now how to defend this Syracuse offense. And whether it's the op- – I think the read option is an underutilized part of this offense and a, a, a part of the offense that they barely ever utilize, right? Last year, you were running, what, three, four, even five read options a game, maybe even more than that sometimes? This that, Florida State, that Florida State game, it felt like Schrader was running the ball every yeah. third play. Yeah. No, this year when Schrader's running the ball, it's because he's gone through his progressions uh, through the throwing game. Nobody's open. He tucks and runs, which is okay. Like, that's fine to be part of your offense. But when you have that much talent as a running quarterback, and we saw it last season, there has to be some design runs as well because that's going to keep the defense honest when it comes to Sean Tucker. If you don't know who has the football, it's a lot harder to tackle the guy. That's a really good point, Francesco. The only thing I'll, I'll push back on, you need Schrader healthy. Carlos yeah. Del Rio Wilson doesn't know the offense. 
I mean, it feels like everybody's gone down a couple times this year. Schrader's been slow to get up once or twice. Tucker's been on the ground multiple games, and the whole entire dome goes silent for a second. Those things scare the crap out of any head coach. And those things, if they were to get worse, uh, we pray that doesn't happen. But if those things are to go sideways, you really risk throwing away your season. And you turn it over to a backup quarterback who we don't know what to expect from. So that's that's the worry about running Schrader 15, 20 times a game or even of double digits in a ball game. I'm sure it'll have to happen sometime this season. And he's run 14, 15 times. But as we get deeper on in the year, that's the worry about continuously running Schrader, giving him these design plays because we don't know how much wear and tear his body can take. And Francesco, we've already had problems with injuries this year. Syracuse has lost multiple defensive starters, and this is something that needs to get figured out going into Wagner. So injuries, unfortunately, our number two topic here on Fizz 5. Number two. There's not a good way to go about this, but Terry Lockett's out for the year, mm-hmm. Francesco. It, it's, it's a situation that was not great going into Virginia, seeing that Derek McDonald didn't dress. He's already the backup for Stefan Thompson, who got hurt in the first game. Uh, but now the whole slew of injuries hit this team. Terry Lockett, knee, done for the year. Secondary, three guys, just out like that. Snap your fingers, they're gone. Jihad Carter plays a great first half against the Cavaliers. And then he's on the sideline in street clothes in the fourth quarter. Uh, so if you're Syracuse, you need to get right over these next two weeks. Now that Terry Lockett's gone and Derek McDonald is a wall, Francesco, mm-hmm. which is the, of these guys is a bigger loss. And does losing Lockett or losing McDonald mean even more than losing a Stefan Thompson or a Chris Elmore? Well, here's the thing about Terry Lockett, right? Syracuse is so thin on the interior of the defensive line. It already was, even with Terry Lockett. Kayvon Darton, I think, Ian, has been better than Lockett has been this season, and at least in terms of splash plays in the running game. The kind of penetration that Kayvon Darton can get is very impressive. I think much better than, than Terry Lockett's been so far this season. But when you have both of them, it means you have a nice little rotation going between, between the two. You can't go a full game with one defensive tackle, especially not in a 3-3-5 scheme. It's a, you can't do it. So now... Elijah Fuentes-Cundiff, a redshirt freshman, is listed as the backup defensive tackle. Elijah Fuentes-Cundiff is 267 pounds. It's not great, Ian. It's not great if that's the interior of your, of your defense. You're not going to stop a lot of runs that way. Now, Terry Lockett was 270. Not going to stop a lot of runs that way either. But at least he's played at the Division I level, right? Elijah Fuentes-Cundiff has it. It's a big, big, big loss, both literally and figuratively, from the middle of that defense for a defense that has struggled to stop the run, especially last year. You don't think there's any chance the linebackers can come up and plug those holes? You have to You have to make up for this in other ways, right? Yeah, no, you do. And it, the way you make up for it, as you said, is linebackers and safeties coming up, plugging holes, wrapping up, and making tackles. The problem is the linebackers are undersized too. When you go up against an NC State, when you go up against the Clemson, when you go up against a Notre Dame or a Pitt, those are big boys on the offensive line. A lot of future pros on those offensive lines. And you got Michael Jones at 220, 225 pounds. How much is he going to do in the run game? 
as good of a player. I think as he he's going to do a lot, Francesco. Michael Jones has done a lot. Oh, he has in a lot of against a lot of teams, big or small. That's I don't think that's the issue at all. I'm I'm a very big believer in what these linebackers can do in the run game. Wax and Jones have both been fantastic against 330 pound offensive linemen. You think they're not going to get moved? Uh, they're going to get moved, but you use your quickness to outfox them. You use your penetration ability to sneak through the O lineman while their heads are turned. There are ways that this linebacking core can support and stop the run. Yes, the middle of the O-line might get a big push, but if the linebackers can tackle, maybe there's a remedy for it. But if you're tackling five yards downfield, though, how much good is that? If you're getting that much, if the offensive line's getting that much push against a defensive line that, as I mentioned, was already undersized, now is even more undersized against undersized linebackers and then against safeties that were coming up in the run game, they might be getting five yards to push these elite offensive lines in the ACC. We, I, I don't think the Lockett injury changes a whole lot. We knew the D-line was going to be weak coming into the season. Yes, but it makes it even worse, though. But that's why I'm more concerned about the Thompson thing. What happens now when Syracuse has to put a Leon Lowry or an Anwar Sparrow? All due respect to these guys, but they are no Thompson. What happens no. when that guy has to sneak out to the flat and play zone coverage, or that guy has to rush the passer and go against one of these offensive tackles on third down. Syracuse stopped Malik Cunningham, right? Mm. They stopped that run game. Yep. Purdue didn't have any any sort of run game. Well, Purdue doesn't in. run the football to begin they, with. They they don't. Yeah. But they Syracuse stopped that up pretty well. I mean, even UConn was had a decent rushing attack, all things considered. And Syracuse stopped that. What I'm more concerned about is the ability to get to the passer. The only person who's consistently, consistently done it this year has been Steve Linton. Ah, Okachuku. Yeah, Okachuku's, I'd say, 50-50. He's come up big. You're not a Marlowe Wax guy? I, I am a Marlowe Wax guy, but again... When it comes to the defense, I'm more concerned about them getting off the field. Right. And they've, they've shown the ability to do that by rushing the passer. So, if you're not – like, Lockett's not going to rush the passer. No. Stephon Thompson was rushing the passer mm-hmm. and doing a pretty darn good job. So, I think the linebackers, Wax and Jones, can plug up enough in the run game. Yeah, And, yes, you, you're right. The depth is going to be an issue. But – I think the ability for the linebackers to plug up in the run game will do enough for Syracuse because they've been all right. I like that Louisville game off the top. Louisville tried everything. They tried three different backs, ran it with Cunningham. Syracuse was there for it all. Sideline to sideline, not just up the middle. But if if you're running your third string linebacker out there when it's time to time to get off the field on third down when you need a big sack. Oh, that that just sticks with me more. See, I, I feel the exact opposite way that you do. So you say the linebackers can do enough to help out in the run game. I think that the ancillary pieces around Stefan Thompson, at least coming into the season. Listen, Stefan Thompson is a better player than Terry Lockett. You can make the case Stefan Thompson's the best player on the defense. I think you could make that case. I'm not saying he's the best player on the defense. I don't believe that, but I don't I think either. He's, he was more important overall. But I think I think you could make the case he's one of the two or three best players on the defense for Thompson. Fair? 
Probably. Yeah, right. So he's a better player than Terry Lockett. But I think the pieces around him that were supposed to be around him in the pass rushing game, Caleb Okachukwu, Marlo Wax, even Leon Lowry in certain packages when Tony White's dialing up blitzes, which Tony White's very good at that. He can bring a blitz from anywhere on the field. If you're fast, if you're athletic, he's going to put you in a position to get to the quarterback. So I don't think that's going to be as big of an issue as the continued just taking away from the depth step by step on the interior of the defensive line, where now you're playing with a guy who was a walk on two months ago and a redshirt freshman. Darton has held his own. No, so I think so too. We'll see. We'll see if that continues. But either way, the SUD line is going to be something to monitor. Uh, and that's the first sign, as Carter Bainbridge wrote earlier this week on orangefizz.net. It's the first sign of Syracuse starting to sew some chinks in the armor, uh, holes in the ship, if you will. If the Orange keep having these injury issues, especially to key positions where there is not that much depth, then we really start to get into the, get into the weeds and things get much more harrowing going through the tough stretch of ACC competition. But so one, one that's more not here, happening yet. Go, you don't mind. Go, one more, one more go. thing on the, on the defensive line, not really having to do with injury, but with the, with the size portion. JT's gear is now a starting defensive end. It's not Steve Litton, as we all thought coming into the season. Because Steve Litton at 220 got moved. So they put gear in there to kind of just be a stopgap, even though he's not the same kind of pass rusher as Litton. So that tells you how, how concerned Tony White and Dino Babers are about just the size they have up front. Well, Steve Linton plays on third downs when they need right. to get off the field. Pass rusher, yeah. Uh, but that's all – like, he would be a great 3-4 linebacker, I think. Like, the guy that just kind of stands on the end, yeah. rushes rushes on a in a two-point stance. But, no, he, he's not fit for this, the 3-3-5. Three, 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 it, no. it just doesn't work. No. All right, so all injury talk aside, Syracuse can go to 5-0 and oh this weekend, tomorrow at 5, when the Orange play Wagner. Um, yeah, Wagner. That's our third topic. Number three. Ian Unsworth, Francesco Simone with you on Fizz 5. The Orange and Seahawks, who have not won a game in 24 tries, dating back to 2019, meet at 5 p.m., a fantastic time on ESPN Plus uh, this Saturday. Uh, I don't know if there's an illegal stream for that, but you can always listen on the radio. So, Francesco, I know you're going to be a part of WAER's coverage. Yep. Uh, what do we need to know about the Seahawks? They're not great, Ian. They're not great. As you mentioned, they haven't won a game in a long time. Uh, Thomas Sella, the new head coach, he's 0 for 16. He lost his first two games in the 2021 spring season. Then they lost all 11 last year and 0 and 3 so far this year. So listen, it's, it's a bad team. All right, It's an FCS team to begin with. It's a bad FCS team to begin with. I'll give you a positive, Ian. How about that? Huh? We'll be a little positive here on the Fizz Five. They got a guy named Titus Leo. Now, Titus Leo came into college as a 6'4", 230-pound receiver and off-ball linebacker. In 2021, going into that season, he put on 15 pounds, moved to defensive line. He's playing edge rusher now. Had seven and a half sacks, won conference player of the year, was an FCS All-American, and now he's a senior bowl watch list guy. So if you want one matchup to look for, look for him against Matthew Bergeron. Because that could be box office. That could be something we see in Mobile come February. But besides him, and an interesting story about Titus Leo, too, before I forget. Cam Gill, who was a former Wagner player, now plays for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He had a sack in the Super Bowl on Patrick Mahomes. And that's the moment 
that it all kind of clicked for Titus Leo. He said, okay, I see somebody who went to my school, somebody I'm friends with, somebody who I was teammates with, succeed at the highest level. I want to get there. So he completely changed his body, completely changed his game, and now he's turned into a pro prospect. It's really a fun story, but besides that, Ian, there's not a whole lot. Uh, yeah, Wagner lost badly last year to Buffalo. I believe it was 69-7. to They lost to Rutgers this year. I believe it was 50. Okay, here we go. I've got my six to something. 66 to seven, 69 to seven last year against Buffalo. That that is you Buffalo. Um, the Bulls. This this see yeah, this Seahawks team is not good. No. In any way, shape, or form. Syracuse is a 54 and a half point favorite. Um, I would not advise betting that spread. You what you want to stat on that? It hit me with that. 19 and 24. The last 50-point favorites. What is that? 19 plus 24 is uh, 43. Yeah, the last 43 50-point favorites in the FBS or FBS teams who were 50-plus point favorites. 19 and 24 against the spread. And Syracuse hasn't had a spread that large with for them or against them in the past 10 years. Yeah. And Wagner has only – well, they've only – Syracuse has only beaten one team by 50, I think, over 50 in the past 10 years. And that's been Wagner in 2013. Yeah. yeah. So I don't exactly. Okay. It was 54 to nothing in 2013. Yeah. I don't, I, I think that's the only question anyone has about this game. Will Syracuse cover that spread? Um, I don't, I don't think anything's in doubt here in, yeah. in, in questions of spread coverage, Francesco. Yeah. It, it really comes down to how long does Dino Babers keep the starters in? And see, that is that is a neat aspect of this game that I think, right? So mm-hmm. in all likelihood, this game's going to be over, you know, five minutes in, right? Yeah. Syracuse is going to score 14 points and Wagner is going to be, you know, they can't, they're not going to score 14 points. It's going to be interesting to see at what point Dino goes to, you know, Carlos Del Rio Wilson being the headliner, but all the second, third, even fourth string guys, the freshmen, we're probably going to redshirt this year. This might be their only game that they play in. I hope it's pretty early in. Because I want to see something you can get out of playing Wagner, right? If you give Carlos Del Rio Wilson 30 minutes of football, yes, it's against Wagner, a bad, a terrible FCS team. Give him some experience of playing a football game in the Dome, playing some meaningful snaps. Well, not meaningful snaps, but meaningful, a meaningful amount of snaps in a real game just to get just to get his feet wet, right? This is a guy who you envision being your heir apparent to Garrett Schrader in a couple of years. This is a perfect opportunity, a perfect opportunity to get him as many reps as you possibly can. That and also figure out who are now your third stringers, your Mm -hmm. second stringers, if guys go down. This is the chance for all the practice squad dudes to prove it on the field. As you said, Francesco, nobody's eligibility is getting burned by playing one game. You have to Mm -hmm. play four for it to be considered a true season. So how about all these young receivers? That we heard about over the offseason. Umari Hatcher. Yeah. Umari Hatcher. Kendall Brown. Yeah. Donovan Brown. Yeah. These guys that popped in the spring game. Where, I mean, where has CJ Hayes been? Out to lunch to Marcus (laughs) Adams. Get these dudes on the field. Yeah. Why not, right? See if any of them have a better chance of getting open one on one than Courtney Jackson does. Because Courtney Jackson has a drop per game, also a fumble fumble, against a bad fumble at that against Virginia. And 
he hasn't consistently been getting open and he's not seeing double teams or a safety over the top or anything like that. No, he just hasn't been getting open. So throw everybody out there, give them the kitchen sink, Dino, try some stuff out and try some stuff out. And that's not the, the special plays. Just, <laughs> just try something different and see how it goes. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the receiving core too, because that's something I'm really going to be looking at. We talked about a little bit earlier, how the Syracuse receivers cannot be one-on-one coverage, right? Aronde Gadsden can in certain situations in the slot when he's matched up one-on-one. Damian Alford can't consistently. Courtney Jackson never does. Devon Cooper can't, right? If they can't do it against the Wagner corners, then then that's a real problem. If yeah. they can't get open one-on-one against these guys, listen, no disrespect to Wagner, right? They're Division One football players, but we all understand what we're doing here, right? If they can't get open tomorrow, uh, Saturday against Wagner, that is a big big like red flag glaring lights flashing sirens that that's that this team is in trouble yeah and of course we're not here to sound the alarms or we're here to be reasonable about things but if 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 we stoop that low uh then yeah i agree you've got a bye week and then you've got nc state that's gonna have to pick up real quickly okay moving away from football and to topic four number four Basketball recruiting. It's not going so well. No. Jim Beheim is over in class of 2023 recruits. And Ethan Frank on the Fizz earlier this week wrote an article about how the Orange are pushing for guys coming up empty. I believe the phrase that's been thrown around on the site, Francesco, is striking out. Yes. Swinging and missing. Yep. A lot. Mm. So why is that happening? Well, I think the a, a big reason people point to, not when they're making, but when they're giving a reason for it, right? I think it is a fair reason. There's six guys in this class of 2020, right? So how many guys are you realistically going to b- bring in right after them? Now, Ethan made a really good point in his article saying, you can't really think like that because who knows? At this point, Copeland might, at this point next year, Brown might transfer. Copeland might transfer. Judah Mintz might go to the NBA draft. We have no idea, right? So it's hard to think that way. But if you're a recruit, if you're a, a marginal four-star recruit and you're coming in behind guys like Mintz, behind guys like Copeland, like Justin Taylor, you're going to look at that and say, hmm, I might go to Syracuse, but if I do, there's a risk that I'm going to be stuck behind these guys for a couple of years. Even at the forward position, behind Benny Williams, who knows how long he's going to be here for, behind Malik Brown, behind Chris Bunch, behind potentially Taylor, depending on what position he plays. That is certainly a factor that has to be you know, has to be considered before just going after, you know, Jim Bayheim, Red Autry, uh, uh, McNamara. They're just not good at their jobs. That is something you do have to think about. I agree. The other portion is Bayheim can bring guys in through the portal as well. He doesn't like to, though. He doesn't like to, but he'll do it. He'll do it. Yeah, he will. He did it last season, and mm-hmm. the Orange somewhat got adjusted. I wouldn't say they were ever fully adjusted with the with the portal guys, but there's a clear starting five in place. There are two point guards now with Mintz and Symir Torrance. Thank you for not saying Gerard. I would, well, Joe's going to play the two. Right. I don't know if he's coming off the floor ever, yeah. but he's playing the two. And I think Taylor mm-hmm. will probably see some minutes there as well. Right now, Syracuse, regardless of how you look at it, is two to three deep at every spot. 
Now, will Bayheim play the freshman enough where you can, can consider them two to three deep? Who, got, wh- who, gets buried, who gets buried on the bench? Right. That's, your, that's the question. Last year, Benny Williams at times got buried on the bench. Mm-hmm. And if I'm an incoming freshman, see that. And then I see, oh, there are guys here that have already been in the program for a year or two. There are, he, this guy will go after grad transfers. Right, this program's not doesn't have the NIL flash and dash. They didn't make the tournament last year. They're not they're not pumping guys to the pros. Uh, there just isn't a lot going for Syracuse in 2023 recruiting. If Beheim brings in one guy, so be it. But Syracuse needs to get the ball rolling with a successful start to the season. That's the way you get some momentum, in my opinion. No, I completely agree, because if if potential recruits see a Judah Mintz starting and playing well, maybe a Justin Taylor starting and playing well, even coming off the bench and playing well, Chris Bunch playing well off the bench or starting, Benny Williams finally becoming, you know, the top, whatever, 30, 40 recruit that people thought he was going to be. When recruits start to see that, then they can visualize themselves in that same spot. They can see themselves saying, hey, I kind of play like Justin Taylor, and he's doing this, this, and the other thing. I can do that too. But if you have nothing to see, because right now you don't, right? In 2022, in the 2021-2022 season, the only image you have of freshmen playing for Syracuse basketball is Benny Williams getting five minutes a game and doing absolutely nothing. So if you can't see it, how can you imagine being it? I agree. The only Williams game that was really noteworthy is when he played 20-something minutes against Duke and actually kind of figured it out and then was back relegated to the bench. Mm. So that's the that's the selling point for Syracuse the next couple of years going forward. Hey, we brought in six dudes. Maybe not all six are going to play well, find a role. Not all of them may stick around, but we brought in these guys. They're having success right away, and you can do that too. Yeah, That has to be the selling point. That has to be the selling point. They are having success, and you can too, and they're doing it right away. Right away. That is now the most important part of college basketball, especially the college sports in general, with the portal, with NIL. People want it, and they want it right away. It's, it's like that old commercial, Francesco. It's my money, and I want it now. Yeah, yeah. College athletes want playing time. They want affirmation. They want it now. So if the freshmen this year succeed, it should pick up. And keep in mind, this is 2023. They've got until April. Yeah. You know, this will yeah. pick up once basketball season starts. And if the Q's freshmen are playing well, thing, things will start to pick up around here. I will say this, though, the one caveat to what we're talking about. J.P. Estrell is a big miss, I think. I think that's a huge miss. Because you talked about Syracuse being two or three deep at every position. True, except for center. You have Jesse Edwards, you have Manir Hima, you have John Bolajak, and you have Peter Carey. Jesse Edwards, I know, is good. The other three, I have no idea. You could tell me one of them's okay, I might believe you. You could tell me all three of them are terrible this year, I'd absolutely believe you as well, right? So missing out on Estrella, when he could have come in, Jesse Edwards could come back for a fifth year, but say he does, and then then Estrella could step right into that role. That, to me is a big-time swing and a miss. Syracuse needs a center that's more than just a body. Yep. Jesse Edwards has developed into that. 
Yeah. But the other three dudes, we have no clue. Good no point, idea. Francesco. No idea. All right. Last topic for us today on Fizz 5. What the heck else is going around on the Syracuse campus? Because, hey, SU's soccer teams, the field hockey team, even track and cross country, they've been killing it. All right. So non-rev, our last topic on this Fizz 5. Number five. Francesco, are you a soccer guy? A little bit. I know you are. Calling uh, games I've, and all that. Yeah. I have called some men's and women's soccer for ACC Network. So now uh, let me ask you this though. A little bit of inside, me. a little bit of inside, you know, sports media. Have you ever called soccer before? Uh, I did some high school games when I was younger. But okay. the reason the reason I really got into soccer was my little brother played and in middle school we wake up, watch the Premier League. I don't do that anymore because football starts at noon. And as college kids, we have uh, nights things we do at night so there's that but i i watched a lot of soccer as a as a younger kid and watching syracuse it's a gritty team that knows what they're doing and they can they can get it done on defense yeah their defense they have three big guys at the back led by this guy named booster Schoberg. he's right from name. sweden he's six five he's he's like the 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 blondest blonde you'll ever think of and dude he heads everything He's all over the place. And even though Syracuse, one of Syracuse's goalies got hurt, they're still doing great on defense. They've only allowed three goals all season in nine matches. So this orange team is seventh best in the country. Next Friday, potentially number one Wake Forest comes to town. Yeah, already beaten number one once already this year. Yeah, took down defending champion Clemson. That could be a really interesting, really fun game. And the crowd on hand for Virginia last Saturday was great. Packed out SU soccer stadium, filled the hill on the sides. I was up in the press box and in front of us, you could feel the stands shaking as the fans clapped their hands and stomped their feet. And Syracuse was playing 11 v 10 because one of the orange players got a red card and there was still a ton of support. So that's been really cool. Yeah, no, my uh, my roommate covers uh, the men's soccer team for the D.O. So I've gotten I've gotten kind of the inside scoop on them. And you talk about the physical play. That's kind of the case all around the ACC. Right. It's very yeah. much a phys- it's not like, you know, not the World Cup where players are diving after they got clipped. Right. This is it is physical soccer. They are hitting each other real good. Like yellow yeah. cards are not they're no they're, They happen a lot. They're there. Yeah. The, the Virginia game was very physical. A lot of, I think there were 20, 23 combined fouls, 16 in the second half. It had a, it had a, it had a stop and start feel. It was a bit of a, bit of a wrestling match almost where they were just bodies flying all over the place. But yeah, there's no flopping. There's no, you know, histrionics. There's not, none of that. The women's team is actually really good too. And compared to what Syracuse women's soccer has been in the past couple of years, this this women's team has a lot of experience and it's a it's a good squad. Uh, they're eight and three right now, heading in some more ACC play this weekend. Uh, and again, a team on the on the rise, I'd say. Not not you know not world beaters this year, but Nikki Adams has has been here for a little while now and she's turning the team around. So that's good to see. Field hockey too, top twenty five. I mean, I don't think the I'm gonna the have non- it now. Yeah, the non-revenue it. sports here don't get enough love, but hey, top 25 field hockey, top top 10 men's soccer team, right? Track cross country is ranked almost every year. That flies under the radar. So it's part of the infrastructure of Syracuse athletics that these teams 
and, and you know, in the past, their job was to just, all right, you know, keep it going. Don't, don't, you know, don't cause any ruckus. Just keep <laughs> it going. There has been some ruckus around the other sports on the Syracuse campus, but yeah. now these teams are, are good and they're contenders. So keep an eye on them, especially men's soccer. Keep an eye on those teams. Yeah, I mean, it's fun, right? Why not? Everybody focuses on, obviously, the revenue sports, right? Football, basketball, even to a degree, lacrosse. But it's, you know, there are plenty of people who like soccer around Syracuse, around the campus. You want to go watch a soccer game on a Friday night? You have a top 10 team in the country right in your backyard, right? It's great. Why not? It's it's something worth checking out, and I'd yeah. say that it it makes, overall, it makes just the Syracuse athletic experience much better. So good for Syracuse men's soccer, field hockey, an improving women's soccer team. Hope they keep that juice up. Wrapping things up here on Fizz 5, Francesco Simone, and I'm Ian Unsworth saying goodbye. Have a great weekend, Syracuse and Wagner. Saturday at 5, we'll have full coverage on the Fizz Twitter, the post-game Twitter space reaction. As always, you can check that out on Twitter at Orange Fizz and the recap on the website, orangefizz.net. Signing off this Friday morning. Have a good day, have a good weekend, and go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.